With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is sponsored by Amazon Handmade. Amazon Handmade is the destination to find unique handcrafted products created by artisans and makers from around the world. With categories like home and kitchen, jewelry, baby, beauty, stationery, and even pet supplies, you'll be sure to find something you love, all while supporting small businesses. Plus, handmade items make for incredible gifts. Check out my gift guide for this holiday season at amazon.com slash handmade holiday. Hi everyone, I'm Hilary Kerr, the co-founder and chief content officer of Who, What, Where, and this is Second Life, a podcast spotlighting women who have truly inspiring careers. We're talking about their work journeys, what they've learned from the process of setting aside their doubts or fears, and what happens when they embark on their second life. Today, I'm speaking with the lovely Camila Alves McConaughey. Camila started her career as a model when she was just 19 years old and quickly found success in editorial work, ad campaigns, and on the runway. In addition to her global modeling career, Camila also has quite an entrepreneurial spirit. Her first venture was a line of luxury handbags that she designed alongside her mother. Then, in 2015, Camila launched the community and lifestyle website, Women of Today, aimed at building a space to encourage connection around family, food, fashion, wellness, and home. Camila has become an in-demand lifestyle expert, hosting the Food Network's Kids Barbecue Championship and Bravo's Sheer Genius. And as if all of this doesn't keep her busy enough, Camila is also the co-owner of the frozen organic baby food brand, Yummy Spoonfuls, which is available on Amazon and at Walmarts across the nation. Her career is so dynamic and ever-evolving, and I can't wait for you to hear her story. We recorded this episode during the Future of Work conference for Create and Cultivate, so there may be a few audio glitches during the recording. As always, I appreciate you bearing with us. Now, on Second Life, it's Camila Alves McConaughey. Camila, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to talk to you. Hi. So, thank you hi. so much for having me. Truly my pleasure. We like to start the show at the beginning. So, what did you study in school and what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? Well, I'll tell you this much. I didn't finish school. So, I moved to the United States right before I went to I was supposed to start going to college. I was supposed to take all my final tests and pick what in Brazil it's a bit different so you when you go to college you already pick exactly where you're going to do it's basically like going to university and I came to the United States with a suitcase full of books because I was supposed to only stay here for a couple weeks visiting and ended up staying so I never finish once in a while I still think about okay you know do I go back and try to finish maybe when the kids get older but what I thought I was going to do I thought I was going to either do marine biology 
or a psychologist. Interesting. Interesting. Well, there is still time for that. And I'm sure there are various ways that you incorporate that learning into your day-to-day life still. So you moved from Brazil to LA when you were super young in the grand scheme of things. What was that transition like and how did it evolve and did it change how you envisioned your career? Well, it really did. I was 15 when I moved to the United States. I didn't speak a word of English. Wow. Um, Well, let me be more accurate here. I could say, hi, how are you? Uh, my name is Camilla. Um, and how much is this? And I'm sorry, I don't speak English. That was about <laughs> it. That was about it. I'm not kidding. You know, when I went from environment, you know, growing up in Brazil at that age, you know, we were just going to school and partying and hanging out with friends and then got into a whole different culture. Again, didn't have the language. I had to start working. I had to make my own path in my own way. So really early, like, you know, at age again, age 15, 16 years old, trying to figure all these things, learn all these paths, really influence on how I do things today as a, with business, with my family, with my kids, because you really didn't have any other option. You had to figure out a solution. I started, my first job was cleaning houses. Right. So I was like cleaning houses and then working restaurants, doing English class late at night on the community colleges and then kind of working my way up slowly until I could actually start modeling full time. And then when I did that, then all of a sudden I was put into just when I was like, okay, I understand this culture and what I'm doing. I was then threw into a whole new situation about, okay, you're moving to New York City, which is a whole different (laughs) whole other country on its own. Now you're going to go live in Italy and you're going to go live in Paris and you're going to go live in Israel and Greece and all these places. So it was just, you know what I mean? It was a constant change and constant just we have to figure out a way to make it work. And not only that, you have to figure out a way to make it work emotionally for yourself. You also have to try to figure out a way to make your work work work. Because if you don't get work, they'll send you back home and you don't make money. You can't support yourself. So, you know, so I think that that really influenced on just, you know, it's really hard for me to get to a place of, okay, it's no solution, you know? Well, I feel like that's very good training for being an entrepreneur because there's no version of like, we'll just solve all of the problems for you. You have to figure it out yourself. So that's amazing. Okay, let's go back and talk about that move from Los Angeles to New York, which you did when you, you were 19, you said. How did you break into the modeling industry? What were your first jobs like? And more importantly, what were the big differences for you in New York versus LA? I mean, I feel like we could talk about that all day. Look, we all know the differences in terms of the city, right? New York, it's a very intense city. I learned to love it. I thought I would never move out of uh, out of New York. I thought that was it for me. That was my place. The, the difference in work is that when I was in LA, I was doing, you know, music videos or swimsuit catalogs, stuff like that. New York was like, no, this is like full on, you know, New York is one of the main hubs for fashion. So that was like a big, big change and competition was no joke. And they were very specific. So we used to go, I mean, I would go, you know, 20 go sees a day. Wow. More sometimes you get a out every day with the schedules and you go from one after the other and it was cutthroat new york was very cutthroat that's for sure 
So we've had a few models on the podcast, and it seems like an incredibly difficult career path, similar to acting and entertainment. Even successful models such as yourself deal with a ton of rejection. But I think being comfortable with hearing no can be hugely helpful preparation for becoming an entrepreneur. So I'm wondering how that part of it went for you. Did you become comfortable with rejection on some level? How did you get past it? How did you build up a tough skin? How was it? Yeah, you know, it's it's a very good point where you bring it up in terms of, you know, at especially at that age, you know, especially at such a young age. And I wasn't, I started modeling older, which I think it helped me a lot. A lot of the girls that I was working with, I mean, they were like, you know, some of them were 14 years old. Dealing with all of that, it's a, it was kind of intense in some in, in that perspective because it does mess with you because it's different. So this is the difference that I, I tell people sometimes. So if you do a project, let's say, you know, an architect or you work in a company at a firm and you, you, you're doing a project and your project is rejected, you're like, okay, well, I did all this work. Okay, what do I need to change in my work? What do I need to do? Like, you know, you kind of you can rebuild that work. Now, with modeling, they're looking at you as a person yeah. and how you look uh, to them. And they're going, no, thank you. No, 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 no. And, and some people were really nice about it. And other people were just like, just made you feel awful about it, right? Mm. So... The reality is that it was a fine line between like not taking it personal and then going, well, but they're looking at me. So then what do I need to change? You know, do I need to cut my hair? And then you start overthinking, do I need to change my hair? Do I need to, you know, get more sun? Do I need to get less sun? Do I need to fix this? Do I need to do this? Do I need... And you start really questioning. And I fell into this weird little bucket where because of how I looked, like I wasn't, you know, I'm, I'm not the tallest girl on the room. You know, like when you're doing fashion, especially fashion shows and stuff, that's a big thing. And, you know, and you got to be really, really thin as well. And and I wasn't the thinnest or the tallest, uh, but I also had the look that I can go so many different ways. And the reality is that people didn't really know what to do with me. So in a way, it was more difficult for me to navigate that because sometimes it'll be very specific. You know, we're looking for this look. And then if you're that look, you're like, okay, I have my chances. You know what I mean? <laughs> totally. So I have a whole theory about the things that we learn early in our career. Some of those skills that we're working on are applicable later in our career, and we might not even know it. So I'm wondering what skills you were honing at this point in your career that are valuable today. Well, to your point of rejection, I have... <laughs> No problem when people tell me no, but what I have learned is to create a really thick skin to go, well, okay, why is that? Why can we, you know what I mean? And I push it and I push it into, it actually becomes a yes, if it needs to become a yes. I also think that another thing is because, you know, I, I lived out of a suitcase for many years. I mean, I yes, I had an apartment in New York, but I was barely there. And, you know, when I look now at what we do with our family, like, you know, with Matthew's job, when he goes to work, we all go to work. So we are literally constantly moving, constantly on suitcases, you know, and it's the whole family and it's the kids. And because I had, again, I had to get to places and localize myself for a certain period of time, right? Because I'll go and live in this countries for three or four months at a time. 
So I have to localize myself and, you know, learn the bus system and the train system and whatever with very little resources. So like right now, I look back and I go, oh my gosh, like I'm using so much of that with my family and how we do things. So I think some of those things really, it was really helpful. And and to be able to also, you know, at the times that we're leaving today, with everything that we got going on, you know, I sometimes step back and look back because in terms of respecting people for who they are and understanding people differences and understanding that we are different, but we can all contribute and we can all work together and we can all be friends. And hey, it's okay if that's your religion. Hey, if that's okay if that's what you like to eat or your opinion or your politics or whatever it is. We're very open about it. It is our environment. We have friends from, you know, I still have friends from Israel and Greece and like from back then, right? So I think that because I travel so much and saw so many different cultures and had to immerse myself in those different cultures, it is something that, you know, if people could experience more or even learn more through books and things like that, they might have more of an open mind about others and their differences, because I know that that did it for me. Definitely. And it also sounds like you got comfortable with the concept of change at a very young age. And that is so important because I think as people get older or more successful, they get set in their ways and like think it can only be one way. But when you're comfortable with change as you are, then the world is your oyster in so many ways because you have you're open to so much, which is so important. You know, we have to understand like the world around us is constantly changing. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's constantly changing. So for us to just be stagnant, that doesn't work because we are all changing. I mean, look at every year we're getting older. Right. That's a change. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about your first entrepreneurial venture, which was a line of handbags that you co-founded with your mother, who is an artist and a designer. Tell me about the idea for the brand, how you brought it to market and how long did it take from having the idea to actually launching it? OK, so I slowly brought in my family from Brazil. So slowly they all came and my mom was living in Los Angeles. My mom, my dad, and my brother were all living in Los Angeles at a time. And my mom, I grew up seeing my mom working on high heels, all dressed up for really big companies in Brazil, like just badass, right? So I was like, you know, as soon as I got into the modeling and was able to kind of afford a change, I was like, okay, what are we going to do? Like, you know, what do you want to do? Let's do something that you love. Um, and if we, I mean, we would try our best to make it work. So she wanted to do the handbags. She's a designer and I knew nothing about it. She taught me everything. And what we did was we got, you know, all these machines and we set it up in, in this room that we had and the machines kept breaking. So my mom, we both look at each other eventually and let's just forget it. Let's just do it by hand. So we started creating all this very unique techniques of making handbags and printing on leather and things like that. And um, I would start traveling around with the handbags. And our first order came from an airport line. Like wow. I was standing on the line of the airport and the lady behind me was like, wow, that's such a cool, beautiful bag. It's like, where is it from? And I was like, well, <laughs> <laughs> me, here's a number. <laughs> You know, so it's, it just kind of started word to mouth. And then we kind of made it like a mini collection. 
And I took all of that to New York because by then now I'm having connections with the magazines and different editors and those things. And I had a friend of mine, Pamela De Palma. She still works on the on the PR front. And she was uh, she was a friend and she just helped out. She goes, listen, you know, I'm going to set up some goals, some appointments for you with some editors. And I went to this editor, Mariella, at InStyle at a time. And I went to see her. She loved the, you know, I mean, I was carrying around the suitcase in New York and just going to the office and putting the, the handbags out. And she loved it. And she goes, you know what, Camilla, I know these people at a shop bomb. And she called right then. She picked up the phone and she called them, set up a meeting right away. I literally left her office, went to shop bomb's office, sat down with the buyer, and I walked out with a purchase order. Wow. And I called my mom and I was like, jumping up and down the street and going, oh my gosh, like, look what happened. And and then she's going to put in InStyle Magazine. I was like, oh my gosh. And we got a purchase order. And then we went from excitement to like, holy shit, how are we going to do this? <laughs> like, and it was a big order. It was a large order. So I went back to LA and her and I worked day and night. And it was just her and I all by hand. And at the apartment, we could, you know, a lot of the handbags have rivets, metal rivets, where you had to like hammer down by, you know, each one. So we could do it where we were living at a time. So we would pack everything up in the car and go to the school parking lot across the street and sit all night in the car in the school parking lot and work on those bags because we had a deadline. If we didn't deliver, we would we were done basically on our first yeah. order, right? And it was the funniest thing because we used to be there and doing this thing and like, you know, if a police car would pass by, we would like hide under the car and then we look at each other we're like, what are we hiding for? We're not doing drugs. We're not, we're like, we're making handbags. Like you can't go in here. And they'd be like, you know, mother and daughter doing handbags. We're not doing anything wrong. We used to laugh about that all the time. So that was our first order. It was, I mean, it was tears and sweat to deliver that. Like, um, it was crazy. It was crazy. We didn't have the materials. We didn't have, again, we were not ready for any of it, right? And then from there, I ended up through again, through, you know, somebody that knew somebody. I'm always, listen, if you, if you guys have business, you know, just ask people. You know, you ask a friend that might know a friend that might know somebody. You ask out cold call people all the time and, and try to make connections. And by doing that, we got it within um, the folks at QVC. And then we then started to do something which was bigger, which we then did a whole line for QVC. I used to go on air and do the QVC thing. And we got into department stores. So we did that for about a little over 10 years. Wow. That is amazing. So speaking of QVC and on air, that obviously is not your only on air experience. You've done so much. It's crazy. So you were the host of Bravo's Sheer Genius, which by the way, I loved personally, um, which was a reality show about hairstyling. And then you also have got on to host the Food Network's Kids Barbecue Championship. And you've been a guest judge on Chop Junior. You're obviously very comfortable in front of the camera from your day's modeling, but Still photography versus on camera is very different. So I'm curious in which ways that was a new experience for you. And were you nervous at all, for example, walking into your first day on Sheer Genius? And did you feel like that on-air work came naturally or was it, did it take a little getting used to? Okay, listen, 
I'm, that's why I'm shaking my head because you know I, I I was never you know like wanting to do anything with TV. That was never my like really intention. It was I always wanted to do business. And back then, this producer came to me, which she was the most amazing, compassion women. And we had the first meeting about the show, and I was like, I was just so like I didn't want to do the show. It was not, again, it wasn't, you know, a thing that I was looking to do. So in the first meeting, I just told them everything that I did not like about the show. This is not good. <laughs> and, this is, and, I, and I was just like, okay, thank you very much. And, you know, walked away. <laughs> I get a call and the producer is like, no, we love the meeting. We want you to be part of it. And I was like, guys, I've never done this. I, my English, my English was even worse than what it is now. So the producer was like, listen, I'll go in a room with you and we're going to, try to do this teleprompter thing. I've never been in front of a teleprompter ever before, okay? They're hard. They're hard. Now, when you have broken up English and you're trying to read it from a teleprompter and very, you know, proper things, that even adds a whole different layer. And you're not trying to sound like a robot. You're trying to be, your personality needs to come up. And it was just a mess. So we did that. And I remember they sent me the, the cut that they did. And I remember watching with Matthew and I was going like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Going like, this is so bad. I will never get this. It was a great experience <laughs> to learn how that works, but this is never happening. Sure enough, two days later, they call me and it's like, you're on for the job. And I was like, oh shoot. All right. You know, I was like, let's do it. You know, let's go in for the challenge. So I literally, like I had classes with a friend of my joy about the teleprompter and how, uh, like how to do this whole thing. And then it was really hard shooting because right in the beginning of it, I found out I was pregnant with my daughter. Oh, wow. Number two. So I had all these things going on. And my first time ever doing this, I like doing live TV because I can just be myself and talk and right. if something goes wrong, we talk about it and stuff. But this was very like, you know, word by word. If you, if you yeah. miss a word, they'll go cut and go back. And I'm like... <laughs> man, like it's okay. It's the same you know, thing. I was so sick the whole time. I was literally like running to the bathroom to like puke because I was having mm -hmm. morning sickness and the days would start super early and then go back. The crew, like the stylist, the, the glam started going like, why is she gaining weight? Like, you know, we tried this two days, three days ago. Now it doesn't fit her anymore. Yeah, that's what was going on behind the scenes on Sheer Genius. So, you know, I, I love doing live things because, again, it's just more me. If you give yeah. me a script, if you give me a teleprompter to read anything, I freeze up and I'm horrible at it. <laughs> horrible at it. It's not for me. So I also like the fact that you just keep doing new things in your career and keep going for new challenges. So after doing all this on-camera stuff, you then also in 2015 founded your community and lifestyle website, Women of Today. First, what was the idea behind the website and what did you want to bring to that space that you felt like was missing? Absolutely. So, you know, with my experience of living in different places, right, what I would experience is that I'll go to different countries or even in the south of the United States and I'll get into those places and I'll have a community. It was broader than just your, you know, handful of close friends. You know what I mean? So if you needed something, you'd ask people and then if they didn't know, they go, well, I don't know, but my cousin or my friend knows. And, and the mm -hmm. kind of like within like, you know, 
a week, 10 days, you kind of knew where the school was, where the support, like everything you needed, you could get it and find it. And you had a community that support you. And when I would come back to certain places in the, in the United States, I'd be like, that's, it's not there anymore. And I would miss them. So I said, you know what? I'm going to start putting this content out to where it's just about us sharing with each other. So it's, this is not about Camilla saying, hey, I'm Camilla McConaughey. And this is how you need to do things because that's how I do things. Uh-uh. That's not what Women of Today is. <laughs> the biggest difference with Women of Today is that we're talking with you, not to you. So we started to just share this, hey, I learned this. And then somebody would send us something. We would test it, try it out. And then honestly, just organically grow to what it is right now. To where it's really a community base, which it was the intent from the beginning of connecting people in a way that's real and helping people do better for themselves and for the community around them. So we share anywhere from, you know, recipes, business advice, beauty stuff, health. Uh, we do a lot of charity activations. So it's really about how can you be better? How can you do better for the community around you as well? I love that. So... The recipes are amazing. What is your connection to food? And I'm curious about what the recipe process is like and where you draw inspiration from. Yeah, so, you know, for me, it's very important that what we share on the website, look, we're not puritanical <laughs> by any means, but again, with the mission of how can you do better for yourself? How can you do better for the community around you? It's really trying to educate and share with people that, hey, actually anybody can cook. Anybody can learn what goes into their body and make strong and wise decisions, right? So they can be healthier, stronger, better. So the majority of the recipes are recipes that are better for you, are recipes that anybody could do. We keep it very simple. And it's recipes that we always give the variety. So it doesn't matter what kind of diet you are in, you can uh -huh. make it happen and affordable. And for me, the journey with food, to answer your first question, was, look, on my early 20, like before I had kids, I didn't really pay attention to food that much. I just didn't. <laughs> I ate everything. I, you know, I was just like pleasure, pleasure, pleasure with food, right? After I started having kids, I started understanding and learning the importance of what you put in your body. Right when I got pregnant and when I was like, all of a sudden, I was like, okay, now I'm in charge of another human being. So what do I need to learn here? And all the information and all the knowledge that I got from that, I was like, okay, we, we have to make changes. We have to do things differently. Me in my household, but also how can I share this with somebody? Because, you know, if I knew all of this early on in my life and made those changes, actually, you know what? A lot of things that I'm dealing with health-wise late on, I probably wouldn't be dealing with. You know what I mean? Because a lot of it, it's what you put into your body. And that we can control. It's a lot of other things in our environment that we cannot control. But the food you put in your body, you can. So really, you know, the food connection, and it just happened. When we started with today, it was recipes, but it was arts and crafts. It was projects. And then all of a sudden, the community was just like, we want food. Give us more food. <laughs> Give us more recipes. Like, okay, you know? And they were sending us a lot of recipes. We share a lot of recipes from the community that they share with mm -hmm. us. It's really an exchange, you know? 
So since we're talking about food, we obviously have to talk about Yummy Spoonfuls, which is a company that you're a partner in and has a mission to bring organic and healthy food options to children everywhere. First of all, can you explain the company for anyone who might not be familiar with it and tell us about your decision to get involved with the brand? Yes, absolutely. I'll try to keep a very long story short, but Yummy Spoonfuls really came after I had Livingstone, our third child. I decided to step down from the handbags. You know, at that time, a lot of things changed um, at QVC and it was just impossible for me to do it with three kids and with Matthew's work. So I stepped out from that and I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to, you know, be with the kids and stuff. And I was, I remember we were living in, in a trailer in Canada, uh, Matthew was shooting Interstellar and it was like 2.30 in the morning and I'm like doing the parades and, you know, I got bowls of baby food everywhere so I can mix into different flavors and the little, you know trailer kitchen has got dishes up to the top and I'm sitting there just going, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be working here into whatever time, you know, five in the morning or so finishing this up. Then the baby's up for a feed and then, I mean, it's done. I'm like, I'm up for 24 hours doing this. I'm like, why is it not a better solution for this, right? To have a very clean, pure baby food because the stuff that is on the shelf, the baby food that is great, shelf stable, it's basically dead food, really. Like, you know, that's being cooked over in really high heat for a lot of time. It doesn't have all the nutrients. It's not really alive. So anyway, I stopped and I sat down on my computer and I did a search. I was like, I was like, you know, maybe I missed it. Maybe it's already out there and I missed it. So I sit down and I typed did a search. And to my surprise, it was only like two companies at a time, two or three companies, very small companies that did it and shipped it out. But the prices were like, you know, crazy prices. And I'm like, well, people can't afford that. So after that night, I started to go on the journey of figuring out a way to do it and to make it more accessible to people. Again, just like Women of Today, it's about making it accessible to the most amount of people that need it, right? So I went on that journey. And as I mentioned before, I start cold calling people. I start calling friends of friends, asking all the friends because I had never done anything in the food industry. So I knew nothing about it. So I just start calling people and having calls and learning and going, okay, who do you know? Who can I talk with? And in one of those calls, I got introduced. The lady said, hey, you know, I met this, this lady, this great woman that has a business that's similar to what you are describing to me that you want to do. Can I connect you guys? And I said, sure. So she connected us and Agatha and I had a meeting. We set it from each other over tacos at a restaurant and by the end of that meeting we shook hands that we were going to do this together and uh we went on the journey and it was really like fast and furious we needed to get investors which i had never ever done in my life it was it's my least favorite part of businesses is to get investors in i can't stand it i can't stand it but we did and and at the time i was working with target already for a good amount of time doing lifestyle things for them and I, so I had a connection there and we went into a meeting and we went in heavy and strong uh, and we launched with 33, I believe it was 33 products in 1500 stores all at once. Whoa. What was the hardest part of that? I mean, that sounds incredibly insane to scale to that level. It really was. It was insanity. Like, it really was insanity. I have no other way to describe it for you. The hardest part 
it was production actually making the food because all the companies that were making baby food could not make our food because their answer is our, our environment is too, it's basically a, a sterile environment. It's not alive, so we can't make your food. So we had to convince somebody that made food for adults to make baby food, which we literally had to build up a whole wing of this place and bring in machinery from the Netherlands. And we had to learn about equipment and, and heavy duty equipment, machinery, know how it worked and build, build up this production line to make this food that we wanted to be pure without additives or preservatives and really preserve that integrity. And I remember, I mean, I, it, we used to walk out from there like covering peace, just like <laughs> at three in the morning and scratching our heads going, it's not working. It's not working. We're not figuring out. So really to be able to produce something that was that pure in mass scale was really challenging, more challenging than we all thought was going to be. But we did it, which it tells me a lot. It tells me a lot about where the food industry is now, guys. Listen, we were a team of maybe, I think, four or five people. So if as little as we were, we were able to figure it out and put it on the shelves, um, it really makes me question why the big guys cannot do it and do it better, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you had the desire to do it. And weren't going to take no for an answer and we're going to figure it out. And, you know, if only we could incentivize other companies to care as much. But I'm so glad that you did it because that's really remarkable. It, it was one of the most challenging experiences. You know, we had to deal with governor bodies. We had to deal with, you know, labeling and, and rules and regulations and, again, producing and marketing and PR and, like, and we all, as a team, as a small team, we all did a bit of everything, right? And we had a lot of challenges and we did good and then we did really bad and then we had to bring it back to life and to where it is now at Walmart, right? So it's like, it's just really like we went through a lot of challenges and a lot of changes and it was a lot of learning. So I, I'm proud of the learnings that we had through this. It means a lot, you know? So I love the fact that being a mother has inspired and informed so much of your career. I'm wondering if you have any advice for moms who are struggling with the idea of going back into the workforce or on the flip side, women who are feeling nervous about adding motherhood to their already busy career lives. Yeah. If you are nervous about becoming a mother because you have, you know, your career, it is never a perfect time to have a baby. I don't know. That's a fact. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know any mothers. I mean, I could be wrong, but in my life, I have never (laughs) met any mother that went, oh, yeah, this was just, you know, I stopped life and I just was pregnant. And, you know, it's just never the perfect time. So I do think that if you want to have kids, it's important to understand that, hey, it is going to be crazy. It is going to be challenging and the challenge and you will be tested to a level that you have never been tested before, (laughs) but it is the most rewarding thing ever. You know, it's a kind of love is it's a kind of experience that, you know, you can't explain it until you go through it, but I'm not going to bullshit you. It's going to be hard. It just is. Embrace it and prepare yourself that it's going to be hard and it's okay to ask for help. I know that a lot of us women that work hard, 
that are independent of, you know, we a lot of times have a hard time asking for help. And I learned that the hard way. So I do think that, you know, asking for help and knowing what your limitations are, you know what, I can't do this. I, you know, this is too much for me. It's okay to ask for help and understand what you can do and what you cannot do. And you give yourself a break that when you don't do things as well as you would in different circumstances, that it's okay. And for moms that are going back to work, I think that's all you have to remember. You have to try your very best. And if you do, and things are not perfect, at least you can put your head in the pillow at the end of the night and go like, I did my best. In my heart, I know I tried my best. I love that. So we like to talk about mistakes on this podcast because everyone makes them. And I don't think we always discuss them. We all live in this Instagram perfect world, but that's not really the truth. So I'm hoping that you can tell me about a mistake that you made in your own career and something that you've learned from it. You know, I think like with the business early on, I learned that over promising and under performing, it's really not a good thing. And I've really very quickly switched to under promising and over performing because that means people respect you better and trust you better. Uh, that was back with the handbags. And then um, I think that also getting things written down, folks. I know it's a pain. I know it's annoying, but really put it in a contract, put it in an agreement, put the pencil to paper and make people either sign it or have an email track of things. Because when businesses get crazy, it doesn't matter if it's a loved one, a friend or somebody, a partner that you thought that would, that, and it doesn't make the person bad. It's not that, that the person is bad. It's just that circumstances changes things and circumstances changes people behavior and we can all fall into that so really i think that you know early on i was very much a handshake kind of person and let's work the paperwork later and the contracts and agreements later don't do that no don't do that so a lot of the women who listen to this podcast a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are interested in switching lanes in their career or trying something new but maybe a little bit scared to do that as someone who has done lots of new things what advice would you give someone who's nervous about making that leap it is terrifying i agree with you it is terrifying every time you're going to do a change you're going to go to a different lane hey is this the right move you know i don't know nothing about this this or that whatever that is um, I agree with you. You should be terrified. It's okay. <laughs> but but the good thing about being terrified about something is that usually you would work harder to overcome and overachieve. So use that as your fuel to conquer the change that you're trying to make. So my last question is also my favorite question, which is if you could go back in time and speak with your younger self, younger you at any point in your life, and give her some career advice, what would you say? I would say to, so when I was modeling at age 19 or so, I always wanted to do, again, businesses, right? So, but I didn't have money to do it at all. So I used to go to friends of mine with different ideas, different things, you know, and I remember Back then, I wanted to do coconut water. Coconut water was not a thing. Not and a thing I at all. I pitched this to so many people. And they're like, you're crazy. Americans would never drink coconut water. And I was like, well, they just don't know yet. They will. They just don't know yet what it is and how it is and how it works and how good it is for you and stuff. So I kind of gave up on it. 
if I were to tell, uh, you know, a, a young version of myself, don't give up on some of those ideas that you had. And I would have told myself, start businesses earlier before you had kids. Because I think that once you have kids, you can do it, but it's a completely different ballgame. You can still do it. You know, we've seen it do it all the time, but it's just harder. It's way harder. I very much agree. That was lifestyle expert, entrepreneur, and founder of Women of Today, Camila Alves McConaughey. For more inspiring interviews with women like Camila, head to secondlifepod.com where we have so many more for you to peruse. If you like today's show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening right now. And don't forget to rate and review us. We always want to know who you'd like to hear from on the show. So if you have a fabulous idea, send us an email to hello at secondlifepod.com or you can always find us on social. I'm at Hillary Kerr. The show is at Second Life Pod. Our DMs are always open. I'm Hillary Kerr and you've been listening to Second Life. Thank you to Amazon Handmade for sponsoring today's episode. Amazon Handmade empowers makers with the tools necessary to showcase their products to millions of Amazon customers. In categories like home and kitchen, beauty, toys and games, and so much more, each Amazon Handmade product is crafted by a talented maker. Shop today to find a gift for yourself or someone else, and check out my curated gift guide at amazon.com slash handmadeholiday. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.